We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. So we've been dealing with the series, The Christ Conscious Believer. And I said when I started the series that I'm, it's probably going to be the longest of a series I've ever taught. I don't know, but, but at the same time, it's a, it's, it's a culmination. It's going to bring together. It's going to amalgamate everything about the believer's walk of faith, about the believer's walk with God, about the believer's understanding and grasp of the knowledge of God in the, in the face, in the person, in the nature, in the message of Christ. Because we've said over and over, to know God is to see Christ. And to see Christ is to know God. And this, this series literally brings everything together in, in some sort of amalgamation such that if you're able to pay attention to it and grasp what is being dished out, your walk with God can literally never remain the same again, ever remain the same again. If the world is corrupt, the world is corrupt because the church is corrupt. If the world is messed up, the world is messed up because the church is messed up. If the world is in darkness, the world is in darkness because the church is in darkness. So to illuminate the church is equals to illuminating the nation. To educate the church equals to educating the nation. To sensitize the church equals to sensitizing the nations. To renew the mind of the church equals to renewing the mind of the nations because the church will impact and influence the nations in its sphere of influence around it by its nature, by its awareness, by its consciousness. So if, and that happens one life at a time, that happens one teaching at a time, that we begin to come into consciousness of, of who we are in God through Christ. We begin to come into consciousness of the work of God in Christ. You know that scripture that we quote a lot in, in, uh, in Philippians 2, um, 12, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. Then we goes on to verse 13 to say that it is God who walks in you both to will and to do according to his great Pleasure. What is the, you know, in, uh, um, put, it, put it up in, in, in the NLT, Philippians 2.13. Let's say the language that the NLT decides to use of Philippians 2.13. If you have a Bible, turn to it and open it. Hallelujah. Philippians 2 and 13, I will just call that up here for myself and I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you are doing the same. So it's time to focus now and pay attention to the word. For God is working in you, NLT says, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God is giving you both the desire and the power to do what pleases him. How does the TPT put that? God will continually revitalize you, implanting within you the passion to do what pleases him. Implanting within you the passion to do what pleases him. The question now becomes, what pleases God. What pleases God? How are the parameters of God's pleasure defined? Who determines the pleasure of God? And the answer is found in that statement that God made himself. God determined his pleasure himself. Matthew 3.17. He determined his pleasure himself. Matthew 3.17. Matthew 3.17, go back to uh, 15, I believe, just so we, we can get a bit more of the context of what's going on, verse 15. 
Um, Jesus replied, this is, this is the um, scenario of the baptism of, of Jesus of water by John the Baptist. Jesus replied, it is only right to do all that when still in the TPT that God requires. Then John baptizes Jesus, verse 16. And as Jesus rose up out of the water, the heavenly realm opened up over him and he saw the Holy Spirit descend out of the heavens and rest upon him in the form of a dove. And I'll come back to this scripture later, but verse 17. Then suddenly the voice of the Father shouted from the sky saying, this is the son I love and my greatest delight is in him. My greatest delight is in him. Put it in the, in the, new, in the new Living Translation. My greatest delight is in him. And a voice from heaven says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Then put it in the New King James. Don't forget Philippians 2.13. He's the one that walks in you both to will and do according to his great pleasure. See verse 17 in the New King James. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Put it up in the Amplified. Who was God speaking of? Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and delighted. Matthew 17, Mount of Transfiguration. They are on there. And in verse 5, you know, after the whole, you know, Moses and Elijah appearing and all that, you see in verse 5, when Peter was yet speaking, behold, a bright light, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So who is the pleasure of God? Christ. Who is the delight of God? Christ. So when you go back to Philippians 2.13 that says, for it is God that walks in you both to will, and I explained that to, I think two episodes ago, how to will means to give you the desire to please him. And then he's the one that then carries out the pleasing according to his great pleasure. So the work of God in the believer is to form Christ in the believer because Christ is the pleasure of God. God defined his pleasure. The pleasure of God is not okay. Don't do this. Do that. Don't give this. Give that. Don't go here. Go here. Don't be that. Be. That's not what scripture is referring to. When he says he wills and does according to his good pleasure. We must first establish what the pleasure of God is. And nobody needs to define it for God. He defined his pleasure himself. This is my beloved son at the baptism. In whom I am well pleased in whom my soul delights in whom I find pleasure who gives me great joy same words he repeats it again on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17 I think Luke 11 as well this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased so where is the where is the domicile of the pleasure of God Christ Christ is the container Christ is the embodiment of God's delight and pleasure so the, and that's why Paul says, my little children, whom I think is Galatians 4.19, I believe whom I, I labor over you with birth pangs, that Christ be formed in you. My little children, for whom I labor in, again in birth pangs until Christ is formed in you. Let's see how the TPT puts it, Galatians 4.19. You are my dear children, but I agonize in spiritual labor pains. And once again, 
or once again rather, until the anointed one will be fully formed in your heart. NLT, Galatians 4.19. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Because what happens when Christ is fully formed in you? You have become the fullness of God's delight. You become the fullness of God's pleasure. Now, when the church becomes the delight of God and becomes the pleasure of God to the measure of the forming of Christ in them, to the measure of their consciousness of Christ on their inside, it will outplay on their everyday lives and begin to take a grasp of the nations and the systems of this world then begin to become the system of our God and of his Christ. That's the coming of the kingdom. The coming of the kingdom is this consciousness of the believer of their place in Christ because that is where God's pleasure resides. And so you fix the church, you fix the consciousness of the church. The church will transmit that into society from their immediate sphere of influence. And what we are praying as a revival from all night meetings and crusades will come only from a mind shift of the believer understanding who they are in Christ. There's no other way it's going to come. And that's why these teachings are important to you. They are important to you as the believer. They are important to you because the measure to which you are conscious of who you are in God and to do that, you have to be conscious of Christ. So the measure to which you are conscious of Christ is the measure to which you are expressing the delight of God. So you then become the domicile, the residency of the pleasure of God in the nations. And so everything you do, you transmit the pleasure of God. And everything you do becomes contagious because you are releasing the fragrance of his pleasure across the earth in the person of Jesus Christ that you have now become. That's what this is about. It's not, it's, not, it's not enough to be saying, I am like Christ. You've got to actually be Christ, become Christ. And to do that, as we said in the first episode, in, uh, first, um, yeah, episode of, this, of this series, 1 Corinthians 2, who knows the mind of, of a man? I said the spirit of that man. Therefore, also, who knows the mind of God? I said the spirit of God. And, but now we have been given the spirit of God so that we can know the mind of God, for the, the Spirit of God searches the deep things of God, hear the deep things of God, and that's where he's on our inside. So we have the mind of God. We, ha- we have the perspectives of God. Do you remember that from part one? We have the perspectives of God, so we're able to think, talk, act, walk, forgive, heal, love, be compassionate, behave, budget, plan, spend like Christ. That is when you are Christ on display. And that's what being Christ conscious is about. That's what being Christ conscious is about. Nothing else matters, people. Nothing else. No no other message will will be of benefit to you. No other message. Everything collapses into this. Everything. So take this series seriously, I beg of you. Take them seriously. Take them very seriously. Pay attention to them. Make notes. Receive them in your heart. Develop a posture of receptibility to to the word of God. Develop a posture of responsibility to what you receive. Develop a posture of commitment to what you have received so that by acting thereof, you begin to become Christ on display in the earth beyond the hashtag. You begin to become Christ on display. You talk and people see Christ. You speak and people see Christ. You appear and people see Christ. You, you love and people see Christ. You give and people see Christ. Everything about you transmits Christ as he would in the earth. Just greater than. Doing greater things than he did. And we'll, we'll ex- explore that today. I doubt if I'll finish this particular line today, but we will see how the Lord <laughs> helps us with this. I mean, it's crazy because I've got about 15 indicators of the Christ conscious believer. 
and I'm currently just on the fourth, I believe. Today's going to be the fourth one. <laughs> I've got 15 indicators. That's if the Lord is not adding to them as we go along. And today's just the fourth one. So brace up, strap up, open your heart to receive what the word of God has for us. So our first indicator, like John said when he called, was that the, the, the Christ conscious believer is grateful for the cross. What the cross did, the game changer. The second indicator we establish of the Christ conscious believer is that the Christ conscious believer understands the significant, the twofold significance, right, of the, of the resurrection. And then the third um, indicator, which we looked over a course of two days, I believe, last Tuesday and Wednesday, was that the um, New Testament, the, the um, Christ conscious believer acknowledges that he had no part to play in the salvation plan. You know, by one man, so also by one man. You can't change the, 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 the formula, as Wisdom said when he shared right there as well. So today we're going to move on to the fourth one, and that will be that the Christ conscious believer is mindful of and subject to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this is very crucial. Very crucial. Very crucial. A lot of times I tell our people, I say, we are spirit-led people. We are spirit-led people. I scream it like a broken record. We are spirit-led people. We are a people of the spirit. We are a people of the spirit. And then funny enough, I, I, I log on to Facebook this morning and I came across a post of mine. I don't know if anyone, anyone saw it. I came across a post of mine from 2012, uh, 19th of May. So this day, 2012 as... Um, um, a memory. And I wrote then on Facebook, in quote, don't be too preachy. Let's not over-spiritualize things. Must everything be Bible, Bible, Bible? You're too churchy. Okay, leave the Bible. Let's get practical. And I wrote these statements and many more like them when heard among Christians. And I'll deal with the Christian thing very soon. Because it was unbelievers that named you Christian. It couldn't have been accompanied by a spirit of God. But that's a story for another day. <laughs> when I had among Christians, as signs of immaturity, a form of godliness without the power thereof, an unregenerate mind, the markings of sheer carnality and foolishness to say the least. We are not human beings trying to have a spirit experience. We are spirit beings trying to have an earthly existence. Therefore, to us, everything is spiritual. I repeat, therefore, to us, everything is spiritual. Everything is word-based and word-governed. And everything earthly, no matter the justification or gratification, is or should be alien to us. Everything earthly, no matter the justification or gratification, should, should be if it not already is, alien to us. We should be uncomfy, yeah, uncomfortable with the world's system and not join them to shut down the kingdom standard. We should be uncomfortable with the world system and not join them to shut down the kingdom's standard. By the way, shout out to Debbie for great work with the um, video synopsis. Right, check them out. We'll have another one coming out on Thursday. Every week we'll have about two of them until we are, we, are, we are fully caught up. So it's important to pay attention to the Holy Spirit's ministry in the life of the believer. In the first place, you are not born again in the absence of the Holy Spirit. 
How did you get in? <laughs> How did you get in? They can, you cannot be said to be living a Christ life in the absence of the awareness or the consciousness of the believer to the Holy Spirit. You cannot. So let's start to establish. Let's try. You know, there's some things you can't define. It's like someone telling you define God. You know. So I'm not going to give a, a definition as it were of the Holy Spirit, but we're going to give a, a, a working description for the sake of this, this, this teaching. And I wrote here, the, the, the Holy Spirit is the ever-present manifestation of God in the world and especially in the church, in believers. The Holy Spirit is the ever-present manifestation of the presence of God in the world, but especially in the church, in the believer, not in the building. In the believer. So it turns out that Wherever God, wherever God was getting set to do anything, the active agent present, have you noticed, to facilitate that manifestation is the Holy Spirit. The constant agent, the constant ingredient that hovers around or in a person, place or thing to bring about the will of God at that particular time is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the facilitator of the manifestation of God. And if anything happens in the earth, that thing that happened is a manifestation of God's reality. Does that make sense? Yeah, this is the manifestation of God so that, um, the writer says, so that by the, by, by the things that are, are seen, we're able to comprehend. By the things that are visible, we're able to comprehend the invisible things. Everything that, is, that exists, everything that is created, exists and is created for his pleasure. And who is his pleasure? Again, I explained that to you a few minutes ago. Christ. That's why Colossians says, for by him and through him and for him were all things created. That's why they screamed and shouted in heaven in worship, you know, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are. Who is God's pleasure? Oh my God, I'm going to have to teach on this thing someday so that you can understand it. That all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Who is the pleasure of God? God defined it, Christ. So Colossians says you created all things for him. Does that make sense? For his pleasure, for Christ. Christ equals God's pleasure. God's pleasure equals Christ. And so every time God is doing something, everything, whatever God is doing is a manifestation of his presence, is a manifestation of his essence, is a manifestation of his being, is a manifestation of his glory, is a manifestation of his pleasure, is a manifestation of his delight, is a manifestation of his mind, is a manifestation of his benevolence, is a manifestation of his radiance, is a manifestation of his light, is a manifestation of his love, is a manifestation of his sovereignty. Anything, God is not random. Anything God is doing has glory at stake in it. Because every, by what God does, he manifests who he is. So for instance, jo, um, Jacob had run away from, from, from Esau after you know, apparently stealing the birthright. We dealt with that. I can't remember if it was the last episode or the one before that about Esau and Jacob. Apparently stealing the, stealing the birthright. He got, you know, he got it by grace and not through works and ran away you know, from the wrath of his brother. And then he lays in a place and then he sees a, a, a ladder connecting heaven to earth as a type of the intermediate, intermediation that will come between God and man. And, you know, and he sees that and he sees you know, free access, deep, uh, 
Let me leave that for another day. But angels are ascending and descending, you know, and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bridge, there's a connection, there's a mediation between God and man, and he's enjoying that. And when he gets up from that epiphany, what does he see? Or theophany, rather. When he gets up from that place, what does he say? What does he say? He says, wow, God was in this place, and I did not know it. So when he said God was in this place, what was he meaning? He wasn't like God was physically present there, but that he had had a, an encounter with the manifestation of God's presence in the person of that theophany or in the person or in the place of that, that, that encounter, that experience that he had had. Does that make sense? Otherwise, you know, if you want to go that there now and go and, and go and do a pilgrimage because Jacob left a, a stone there in Bethel, you might as well go to a pilgrimage where on the road to Damascus, which is now in Syria, yeah. you might as well go to where Saul met God and a light shone. Because who is the light of the world? Christ. Are you following this thing tonight? Yeah. Who is the light of the world? Christ. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in darkness. And darkness cannot comprehend it. So what hit Saul? Before you answer, the question is, who hit Saul? And that light is Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It's God who, who has caused light to shine out of darkness that has shone in his heart. But it's God who caused, commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So who is the light? Christ. So you might as well go and be having a pilgrimage on the road to Damascus because this is the exact spot where Saul of Tarsus met Jesus of Nazareth. But what happened there was that somebody had a manifestation of God's presence. Are you following me? Not the place. There's no consequence in the place. So the Holy Spirit facilitates encounters of the God kind. The Holy Spirit is the manifestation of if God will do anything, if he's doing anything, it is his presence manifesting in that thing. And the agent of God's manifestation, the agent of God's ever-present manifestation, the agent of God's indwelling manifestation, the agent of God's supernatural manifestation, the agent of God's universal manifestation, because there are dimensions to the manifestations of the presence of God. And this is by no means an exhaustive teaching. I'm going to try and restrict myself to Christ-conscious believer, and someday I will take these things and open them as, as well in great detail, because there's three manifestations or three dimensions of the manifestation of the presence of God. There is, there is his omnipresence, the fact that everywhere at all times, please, omnipresence is not that God is present everywhere. That's wrong. God is not present everywhere. Everywhere cannot contain God. For God to be present everywhere is like saying, ah, wisdom, I saw you now here. I saw you there. I saw you. Now. It was not you. I just saw him IBB right now. And now I'm seeing you in, in Marian. You're, you're, you're looking at the presence of wisdom in terms of time and space. Does that make sense? Yeah. There has to be a Marian that can contain wisdom for you to trace wisdom to Marian. Yeah. Then there has to be an IBB that can contain wisdom for you to trace him again to IBB. So that's even, even if it looks like it's spontaneous, it's still measured in terms of time and space. God cannot be measured in terms of time and space. So you cannot say God is present 
that the omnipresence of God means that God is in Australia at the same time as he is in England, at the same time as he is in China, at the same time as he is in Congo. That's not what the omnipresence of God means because to say that we'll still be to be measuring God in terms of time and space as though Australia is containing God at the same time as Nigeria is containing God at the same time as Japan is containing God. That's not the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God, which is the first dimension of the manifestation of his presence in all the earth, is that everywhere at all times are immediately in his presence. You have to understand this to grasp the omnipresence of God. Everywhere at all times is what? Immediately in his presence it means therefore that unlike somebody like flash who has to be no matter even if it was in the twinkling of an eye even if it was in a split second or the speed of light to be here and there you have to go from here to there at one point or the other yeah. or at least you have to occupy all of the space within which we, we measure you in other words for for god to be in australia and england at the same time he has to be able to stretch all the way from australia to england does that make sense? And then your song now comes in, Agidigba. He say, how big is your God? <laughs> and then you two are trying to show. Yeah, <laughs> this is your God, six feet wide. Oh, your God is as wide as from Australia to England. Okay, your God is as wide as the universe. God that humbles himself, Psalm 113, to behold the heaven and the earth cannot be measured in terms of time and space. So the omnipresence of God is that God does not need to travel to be anywhere at any time, at all times. Because everywhere, anywhere, at all times, are immediately in his presence. It's good to see you, brother. Pastor Mario Javan, it's good to see you online. Precious Ichaz, good to see you. See you. Lioness. Oluwa Tosin, it's good to see you as well. Thanks for coming online. How are Jeremiah and, oh, there were two J's, oh. Esther, do you remember? There are two boys. There are two J's. Jeremiah and his brother. <laughs> <laughs> Sons of Tosin. <laughs> Hallelujah. So God doesn't need to travel. Everywhere at all times is immediately in his presence. Everywhere. So God is not flipping a remote for the past. God is not turning, craning his neck left to see eternity past. God is not shifting his neck right to see eternity to come. God is not craning his neck forward to see eternity now. All of existence, all Malika Subrandaha, all of eternity is immediately in the presence of God. God is the one that defines eternity. That eternity exists as no beginning and no end. The beginning of no beginning and the farthest reaches of no end are still defined within the minute remit of God. So when scripture says it's unsearchable, that's what it means. That's why to appreciate God, you have to see Christ. Because yes, <laughs> Christ is the definition of God that you can do business with. You have to see Christ. So that's one dimension of the presence of God. The omnipresence, just one, omnipresence. 
Then there is the manifest presence or the theophanies of God, the manifest presence where, like we, like the example we gave of, of Jacob at Bethel, the example we, we also see another example of, of Hagar in Genesis 16 at, at the well, Bela Hyroi. You see, of course, in the New Testament, you see um, Philip, um, sorry, Peter in Acts 10, I believe, when he was getting the open vision about the animals, arise, kill and eat, um, subsequent or, or before the, the vision to go to the house of Colinius, yes, and preach to him. You see, of course, Paul on, on the road to Damascus. You see um, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, I know of a man, whether in the flesh or not the flesh, I, I do not know, only God knows, yeah, who was caught up in the third heavens. Those were theophanies, those were encounters of the God kind. You see Philip in Acts 8, appearing and disappearing in cities. So that's the man, another dimension of the presence of God is the odd or manifestation of God, presence of God is the the, the manifest presence of God or, or, or in, in Pentecost, you know, when they were praying and, and the building shook, right? when the Holy Spirit came. And again, when Peter was in prison and the church was praying in the house and they were praying and it says the building where they were praying shook, remember? And stuff happened in the jailhouse. He was released, came back, rode out, went to the door and said, no, it's not Peter. That story is very, very interesting because they're praying for Peter to be released from prison. The house is shaking, grace is flowing. Peter is released from prison. Peter comes to the door and knocks and she opens the door and says, it's Peter. And Peter says, it's me. She said, no, it's a ghost, go back. And she went back and the church, keep praying, we're praying for Peter to be released. <laughs> That's how I picture the Bible when I read. It's very, very entertaining. You can't get bored when you're studying God's word. Those were theophanies. Those were manifest presence of God. The same thing happens when we worship. So God is not coming afresh from heaven, but, and that's, that takes me to the third dimension because that's linked to the second dimension. The third dimension of the manifestation of the presence of God is the indwelling presence of God. So there's the omnipresence of God. There's the manifest presence of God. And then there is the indwelling presence of God and that is the place where the Holy Spirit takes on residence in the believer it is that indwelling presence that now begins to trigger constant manifestations of his presence does that make sense so the threefold manifestation of God are ever present in the earth because you see the manifest presence of God does not need a believer do you understand what I'm saying the manifest presence of God does not need a believer in fact, it happened a lot to unbelievers to get them to, be, to believe, to show something. You know, he appeared to Samson's father. What was his name? Mano, I believe, right? The father of Samson. Mano or Manoah, depending on how your Bible, your Bible study or, or, or what was the one called? Sunday school teacher taught you. He appeared to John, the father of, of um, Zachariah, the father of John. He constantly manifesting in, 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 in pre-incarnate manifesting, post-incarnate manifesting you know when he rose up from the dead he was showing off now he was showing up through walls you know just in many infallible proofs he was just doing stuff you know that kind of stuff that's just jesus the agent for the manifestation of god in the earth as in his omnipresence the agent for the manifestation of god's presence as in manifest presence per time per space per particular assignment and we'll come to that in a bit because that's what happened as well in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came upon people for specific assignments, specific tasks, for specific purposes, at specific times, for specific durations. The agent of God's manif presence, manifestation of God's presence as in an indwelling presence is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the God that is all over the earth. The Holy Spirit is the God that manifests in a, in, in, in a person or to a person or in a space or in a building as in the case of where believers gather or when God is doing something supernatural. And the Holy Spirit is behind also the indwelling of God's presence in the believer. Can you see how important it is? And that's why nothing happens without the Holy Spirit. 
Genesis chapter one and verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Verse two, the earth was without form of void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. Genesis chapter one and verse one, verse two, and the earth was without form of void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep and the, can you see that? And the spirit of God. It was because of the spirit hovering over the surface of the waters that Jesus could now start creating in verse three. So then God said, Hebrews 11, 3, verse 1, now faces of some things so far, there's other things not saying too, but by, for, by it, the others obtain the good report and all of that. Verse 3, verse 3, Hebrews 11, 3. By faith we understand. Ah, man. Ooh, I wish I could teach this thing all, all night. <laughs> by faith we understand that the walls were framed by the word of God. The words were framed how? By the word of God. The words were framed how? By the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of the things which are visible. Colossians chapter 1. The, the, the world was framed by the word of God. Colossians chapter 1. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We open ourselves to understanding your ministry, your assignment in the earth, your place. So we can maximize and take full advantage of it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Galatians, sorry, Colossians chapter 1. And let us go from verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. This is Jesus, right? Then 16. For by him, who is by him? Jesus. Who is Jesus? The word of God, right? Because John 1, 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him, the word, was nothing made that was made. Then in him was life. And that life was the light of men, the light. So the word is Christ, right? Jesus praying for his disciples in John 17, 17 says, Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then in John 14, 6, he says, <laughs> Oh, Lord Jesus, I love your word. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our, our problem is we, do, is we don't connect scripture. We don't see the fluidity of scripture. We treat each scripture isolatedly and we don't see that everything is saying the same thing. Because Jesus says in John 17, 17, sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. And then we come and we understand that Jesus says the same thing three, three, three chapters earlier in chapter 14, verse 6, says, I am the way, I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So sanctify them by thy truth. John 17, 17 is saying sanctify them by who? By me. Because I am that I am. Your word is truth. Christ is Christ. I am who I am. How was he going to sanctify them? By the work on the cross. He is the word. He is truth. He is spirit. He is life. He is light. He is glory. He is radiance. He is brightness. So when we see that the word of God is Christ and we see in Hebrews eleven three 3 that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God such that the things that be not came 
uh, things that be came out of the things that be not. And then we now go back in the light of all of this to John chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made by him. Without him was nothing made that was made. And we come to Colossians 1:15. He, the word, is the image of the invisible God. Verse 16. Please follow me. This is a word play. W-O-R-D. For by him, the word, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones all dominions, all principalities, all powers, all things were created through him and for him. And you wonder, where was he in creation? Then you go back to Genesis 1 and see in verse 3, and God said, when God said, what did God release? The word. Who is the word? Christ. So who was the saying of God in Genesis 1-3? Christ Jesus. Then God said and when God said what did God release or who did God release Christ because what was the first thing God said let there be let there be light and light shines in darkness and darkness comprehends it not who is the light of the world Jesus how do we see the light of God in the face of Jesus when God said God released Jesus and he said Jesus happened upon the darkness let there be light Christ happened over the darkness and Christ happened over the darkness and darkness did not comprehend it. How does it not comprehend it? By giving way. Where is darkness doing sin things? At the sight of light. Evaporated at the glimpse of light. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the word. Jesus was released to begin to effect creation. Why? Because in verse 2, prior to that declaration, there was the spirit of God hovering over the surface of the deep. So the Spirit of God is the creative agent of God. We dealt, we dealt with that in you are what you see. That he's the brain of God. Remember? He's the, he's the brain of God. He's the CPU that processes the information. On the, he's the database of God. That's the Holy Spirit. So his ministry is, is non-negotiable. His ministry is indispensable. Indispensable. He is the force of creation. He's the one that causes things to happen. He's the active agent of God through which Christ performs the will of God. Look at Genesis chapter 41. I <laughs> can't believe it's, it's almost time up. <laughs> I hope you're following. I hope you're, you're concentrating and drinking and not being distracted. Genesis 41 Look at 38. I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know, however long this takes. Genesis 41, 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, this is the, the, the story, by the way, of now, by the time that Joseph had, had come out of prison, because the butler had remembered that Joseph interpreted his dream while in prison, that he would be reinstated and that the baker would be killed. Baker had been killed, Butler had been reinstated, Butler conveniently forgot Joseph, or so it seemed, because obviously if the Butler had remembered Joseph early, too early, it would not have gone well for, for, J for Joseph, and he would have aborted the plan of God for his life. So, so the Butler suffers convenient amnesia for a while, until the appointed time. And then Pharaoh has a dream, can't explain the dream, his sorcerers can't explain the dream, and then... Pff, Light bulb comes up on Butler, Butler remembers, oh, there's a guy in prison who interpreted my dream and the dream came to pass. So they bring... Um, 
Joseph before, ask him to shave and everything and dress him up and bring him before Pharaoh. And he tells Pharaoh what the dreams were. And he explains to Pharaoh that both the dreams are the same thing in two different uh, visualizations. And then he explains to them, to um, Pharaoh, what the two dreams meant. And of course, in Pharaoh's panic, what shall we do? And Joseph said, find a discerning man, find a wise man who can run this thing and save in times of plenty so that he can preempt in times of lack. That's the context and the pretext of Genesis 41. Then we get to verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, 38, this is Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a man as this in whom is the spirit of God? Who said this? Pharaoh. Pharaoh, as some of your Bible study teachers call it, Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the one that is saying, can we find a man as this? Where can we find? Because Pharaoh understood by the time Joseph had finished speaking that for this magnanimous intervention to happen, it needs the spirit of God, the breath of God the wind of God, the life of God. Pharaoh understood. 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, and there is no one as discerning and wise as you, you shall be over my house. So who was behind the, interven the intervention of saving the world in the time of Joseph? The Holy Spirit. Because Joseph was a type of Christ, saving the world from destruction, bringing deliverance to the captives, bringing good news to the poor. And who, might, who facilitated that? The Holy Spirit. Exodus 28 and verse 3. I'll show you a few examples. Exodus 28 and verse 3. I'll just show you a few instances of the Holy Spirit being the brain behind any manifestation of God in the earth. Nothing happens in the Godhead, in the absence of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Christ-conscious believer must be mindful of and therefore subject to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Before we establish the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it's important to explore who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in the earth, in places, in people, and particularly in believers. Hallelujah. Exodus 28 and verse 3. Again, this, the context of this is in designing garments and stuff or fabricating the garments for the priests in, in that time um, as they left, as they left um, Egypt and were beginning to become a nation unto God. Exodus 28 and verse 3. So God is telling Moses, So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans. See that whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. How was this possible even in that era? By the Holy Spirit. They, had, they were gifted artisans because they had the spirit of wisdom. And the spirit of wisdom is the Holy Spirit. Exodus 35 and 31, they are building the temple or the, the tabernacle rather. Exodus 35, 31. Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the 
children of Israel together and said to them, these are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. 35, 31. 30, thank you. Um, go back, go back to 30. 35, 31. Okay, 30. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him, Old Testament, with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship. Go on. To design artistic works to work in gold and silver and bronze. Go back again to verse 30. Let's read again so you can get it. It's going again. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship, so that he can what? Design artistic works. So who was again behind the craftsmanship of the tabernacle of Moses? The Holy Spirit. Can you see that? Numbers 11. When it's time, I'll stop or continue tomorrow. Numbers 11, 25 to 30. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. Again, this concept um, will, will establish the, the first shadow or type and shadow of the prophecy and the priesthood of all believers. So you see that. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and, go on, spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him, that's Moses, and placed the same, what spirit was upon Moses? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And took from him and placed upon the 70 elders. And it happened that when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, Old Testament. How did they prophesy? By the Holy Spirit that rested upon them. And then it goes on to say, although they never did so again. So you see, it was a type. It was a type. It was just to show that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. So what prophecy is a direct outflow of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And we see that with the Israelites. I'm sure some of you have never seen that before. Numbers 11. That by virtue of the Spirit of God resting upon them, they all prophesied, even though they didn't prophesy again. It was just a type and a shadow. See 26. But two men, <laughs> two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other was Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now, they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle. Do you understand? They went, the, the 70 were in the tabernacle, prophesied once and they stopped. These ones did not go out to the tabernacle for whatever reason. Yet, they prophesied in the camp because the Spirit of God rested upon them. I said the manifestation of the presence of God in the earth in any sphere of influence is by the Holy Spirit. 27, and a young man ran and told Moses and said, Elder and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, 
Forbid them. Stop them. Please see what Moses says. Again, as a type and shadow of what will happen to us now. 29, Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets. And that the Lord will put his spirit upon them. NLT. 29. Ah, is anybody getting this? As a type of the priesthood of all believers. Not the exclusion of a certain clique of people to be prophets. NLT. Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord will put his spirit upon them all. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon who? All flesh. Who will prophesy? Your sons and daughters. <laughs> the me- give, no, give me, give me, give me amplified. 29. I'm not going to rush this. Where's time to close? I'll just stop. You know me. I'll just stop and we'll continue tomorrow. Do you have the amplified in this? But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord will put his spirit upon them. And these are the days of the spirit of God. These are the days of the manifestation of the priesthood and the prophetic manifestation of all the sons of God. The message says, put the message back, thank you. Are you jealous for me? Would that all God's people were prophets. Would that God will put his spirit on all of them. So what is the prophetic manifestation of the spirit of God? No special training. (laughs) No special training. Just the spirit of God. You see the spirit of God, the ministry of the spirit of God behind every manifestation of God. Behind every manifestation of God. I'll show you a few more. Numbers 24 and verse 2. Same numbers. I'm just going to trace a little bit. And then I'll continue tomorrow. Numbers 24.2. Actually, it's about Balaam. Go from verse 1. From verse 1. This is the third prophecy of Balaam. Yeah? Third, third prophecy. Now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel... And who is, the ple- who is the pleasure of the Lord? Christ. So on what account was God even blessing Israel? Jesus. <laughs> when, when Balaam saw that he pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery. So prophecy one, prophecy two, how did they come? Sorcery. But he was a prophet of God. Though. Story for another day. But he set his face towards the wilderness. Two. And Balaam raised his eyes. And and saw Israel. And go back again. And Balaam raised his eyes. And saw Israel. Thank you. And camped around according to their tribes. And the spirit of God came upon him. Then he took up his oracle and said. The utterance of Balaam. The son of Beor. So when we say now that we have utterance, how do we have utterance? By the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of utterance. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of utterance. Judges chapter 3 and verse 10. 
You see that the Holy Spirit is also the spirit of judgment. It's the spirit of sound judgment. The spirit of good judgment. Let me know if you're getting this. Let me know if you're getting this. Judges 3 and 10. Go back, go back to, I think it's about verse 8 or so, where it picks up the story of Othniel. From 9. 9. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up, see this again, a typo of Jesus. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel <laughs> and delivered them. What was his name? Othniel. Some of us have never heard of that, in, of that person in the Bible before. Oh. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. See verse 10. The Lord raised a deliverer, right? When Jesus, ah oh man, I'm going ahead of myself, but just spoiler alert. When Jesus entered the temple after coming out of the wilderness, she, he picked the scroll of Isaiah and he opened to the place where it was written, the spirit of God is what? The spirit of God is what? Upon me. For he has anointed me to preach, to set at liberty the captives. Look at a type here in Judges. Now you can read this thing and not see Christ. You just see Othniel. Go back to verse 9. The people cried out to the Lord. Judges 3, 9. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. Who delivered them? Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. How did this deliverance take place? Verse 10. The spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. How did he judge Israel? By the spirit of the Lord that came upon him. He went out to war and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. How? By the spirit of the Lord that came upon him. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of deliverance. And we have seen in the New Testament that the word deliverance is synonymous for the word for the forgiveness of sins. Judges 14, you see how the spirit of God is behind the supernatural. The Christ conscious believer is mindful of and subject to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We take time to teach in this house. We can't do a one-hour service. We, we can't. We know it's internet and it's data. We can't, do, we can't do a one-hour service. It's who we are. We are word people. Amen. Judges 14.6. This Holy Spirit is the ministry of the supernatural. Judges 14.6. Start from 5, actually. Thank you. 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. Six. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. Though he had nothing in his hand. Look at me. I think that we should change our perspective of some of our Bible characters. It is wrong to paint Samson as if he was doing Johnson. Yeah. It's wrong. Yes, sir. It's wrong to paint Samson as though he was the rock. Yes, sir. As though he was heavily built. Some sort of 
Sylvester Stallone meets yes, an old Schwarzenegger hybrid. Yes, so, because to do that would be, would be to attribute the things he did to yes. his physical stature. And scripture doesn't show us that. Scripture doesn't show us that. Scripture shows us that everything Samson did, he did because the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Go back to verse 6. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. How did he do that supernatural feat? By the spirit of the Lord. That's why it was worthy of mention. Because if he was just, nah, tear it apart. But every time it was that of the Spirit of God coming over Samson to cause him to do the supernatural. See another example in chapter 15, a chapter later, 15 and verse 14. Judges 15, 14. When he, Samson, came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then what happened? Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire. And his bonds broke loose from his hands. Why? The spirit of the Lord. And this time he came mightily upon him. First Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1. I'm showing you examples of the Holy Spirit being the manifestation of God's presence. And I told you from the beginning that when the Holy Spirit, when God does anything, Whatever God does is a manifestation of his presence in one dimension or the other. Saul had gone in search of his father's lost donkeys and ended up with Samuel. Then verse 1 of chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you to command his inheritance? So you see the anointing come as a, as a sign, as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. See verse 10, then what happens as he was consecrated? Verse 10. When they came to the top of the hill, that was Saul and his servant, there was a group of prophets to meet him. See what happened there. Then the Spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied among them. Again, why did he prophesy? Simply by the dropping of, upon him of the Spirit of God. Simple. Simple. 1 Samuel 11 and 6. 1 Samuel 11, 6. This is all Spirit of God coming upon us. We, we have the Spirit of God dwelling within. I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere. I'm taking my time to show you from Scripture. All of this, Spirit of God upon. Spirit of God upon. Spirit of God upon. Spirit of God upon. You have the Spirit of God within. If that doesn't change your life, nothing else will. 1 Samuel eleven six. you see it again. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news. And his anger was greatly aroused. And then, go to verse 7. So he took a yoke of oxen, that's two, two oxen, and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers saying, whoever does not respond to go with Saul in battle, so shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people and they came out of one consent. You see divine direction. The spirit of God being the spirit of divine direction. 
The Spirit of God means the Spirit of divine direction. So every move of God, the Holy Spirit is behind it. Even the move of God that is called the Scriptures, the move of God that is called the Word of God, how did that come about? By the Holy Spirit. Second Peter chapter, chapter 1, verse 20. Oh, Lord, help my people to get this. Help the people to get this. Second Peter 1, 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. 21, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. How does the NLT put this or the TPT? 2 Peter 1.21 Or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. TPT. No true prophecy comes from human initiative but is inspired, I like this, by the moving of the Holy Spirit upon those who spoke the message that came from God. 2 Timothy 3.16 Behind the scriptures, the, the receiving of the scriptures. Not, not the understanding yet, the receiving of the words that form scripture. The Holy Spirit is behind it. 2 Corinthians 3.16. When we're done, you will tell me if there's anything in your life that the Holy Spirit is, is not behind or should not be behind. Then you are conscious of Christ. When we finish, when, when, even if I don't finish today, I'm not finishing today. I'm going to round up soon. But as you reflect on this, you start to ask yourself, with all these things we have seen, and more, it's not an exhaustive list, of the working of the Holy Spirit just by being upon people, that nothing so far that we have seen, of the manifestation of the presence and the reality of God, and the manifestation of the tangibility of God has happened outside the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So tell me how you can then think that you can successfully live your life and actualize your purpose in God and have Christ formed in you and become Christ on the earth in the absence or outside the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Tell me how. So by the time we get to the point in this study where, you, where we now say as many as are led, then you'll understand. 2 Timothy 3.16 Every scripture has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's a TPT. That's why you cannot... It takes... Amen. It takes the absence of the Holy Spirit in a person or the lack of consciousness of the Holy Spirit in that person to successfully misrepresent or misunderstand the scriptures. Because you cannot have the Holy Spirit who is why or how the scriptures came and not understand it correctly. Does that make sense? It's either this person who is misunderstanding scripture does not have the Holy Spirit or this person is not conscious of the Holy Spirit that they have. That's the only way you can successfully misunderstand and misrepresent scripture. Because this verse says, 2 Corinthians 3.16, start again from the top. Every scripture has been inspired 
by the Holy Spirit. The breath of God. The breath of God. The wind of God. Pneuma. That's the word in the Greek. Pneuma. Pneumatos. So the New King James says, all scripture is God breath. And the breath of God is the Holy Spirit. It's given by the inspiration of God. All scripture. How does the NLT put it? 2 Corinthians 3.16. All scripture. All scripture is inspired by God. So who is the inspiration of God? The Holy Spirit. I repeat, as I try to find a place to round up, I don't understand how you as a believer, having listened to this so far, will be able to justify doing anything in your life without recourse, without difference to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You are a very dangerous person. You are a very dangerous person. You are a very unhinged person. You are a very unachieving person. And sometimes it is indicative of somebody who does not have the life of God in them. Because to have the Spirit of God is to have life. I'm gonna, even tomorrow, I don't think I'll finish this. <laughs> this Holy Spirit, just this Holy Spirit, even tomorrow, I don't think I'll finish. These guys were moved by the Holy Spirit. Nobody wrote this thing of their own accord. Paul, can you imagine the studies that Paul did under Gamaliel? Do you understand this? These guys studied, they knew the law, but they, none of them wrote of their own accord. They only wrote as they were moved. So for us to understand, we cannot discard what they wrote. We have to rightfully divide what they wrote because they wrote by inspiration. They wrote by the leading of the Holy Spirit. They were moved of the Holy Spirit. All scripture is given by the Holy Spirit. I like how the TPT puts it. All scripture has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. The breath of God. The breath of God. I'll pick up next, uh, to, next time, tomorrow. And I begin to, because this is where I have to stop. If I don't stop here. Hey. So I'm going to stop here because I, I want to go into how the Holy Spirit, I've explained over and over, let me end how I started, that the Holy Spirit is the ever-present manifestation of God's presence in the earth and most importantly in the church, in believers, in any dimension. His omnipresence, his manifest presence, his indwelling presence, and he's the active agent of God. If God did anything, out of his great pleasure, which is Christ, that thing that God did, that thing that God does, that thing that God is doing, that thing that God will do, is only as facilitated by the Holy Spirit. And so I began to take you from Genesis chapter one. And we began to trace, and I hope you have been coming along that journey with me. Began to trace the workings of the Holy Spirit in every happenstance that can be attributed to God. Every supernatural thing that God ever did was only actualized through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Right down to the capturing of the scriptures by holy men who were moved by God. And then we'll go into tomorrow with understanding how even the redemption plan of God is as facilitated and sponsored by the Holy Spirit. Let me show you one or two spoilers. Isaiah 42. 
Isaiah 42 verse 1 to 4. You see the Holy Spirit behind the prophecy of, the, of Jesus coming. The Holy Spirit behind the prophecy of Jesus. Isaiah 42 verse 1 to 4. Behold, my servant whom I uphold. You see servants there? If you have your Bible, you're looking at your servant there is in capital S. You see it? Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one. Again, capitals. In whom my soul delights. I have put... <laughs> in whom my soul delights. Go back to verse 1 now. Let's start to give him the top. Behold, my capital S servant whom I behold, my capital E elect, capital 1, O1, in whom my soul delights. So who is the delight of God? Christ. So am I teaching you the correct thing or am I teaching you the right thing? <laughs> in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. This is prophecy of Jesus. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. What is justice to the Gentiles? The forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to God. That's justice. Oh. Yes, sir. We'll deal with that another day. The vengeance of God is God punishing sin on your behalf. Not punishing you on sin's behalf. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. The vengeance of God is God punishing sin on your behalf or instead of you and not punishing you on behalf of sin. God is with you against sin. He's not with sin against you. God is with you against sin. God is not with sin against you. Mm -mm. So the vengeance of God, the justice of God is the dealing with your sin and taking it out of the way. He will bring forth justice <laughs> to the Gentiles. Keep going. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail. Oh, Father, this cup, man. <sighs> if I had my way, let it pass. But by prophecy, it had been prophesied that Jesus will not fail. Nor be discouraged. Till he established justice in the earth. And the coastlands shall wait for his law. What is his law? Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. <laughs> so grace, the justice of God against sin on your behalf is the law of Christ. And it was prophesied in Isaiah 42 and verse 1 that I speak this concerning my servant, my elect one, that my spirit will come upon him. I have put my spirit upon him. Again, I take you back to Luke chapter 4. When Jesus shows up in the temple and he picks Isaiah's scroll, what did he say? Quoting Isaiah 60 as well. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to put a set at liberty those who have been held captive. And Isaiah 61, and then he says to them that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
So the Holy Spirit was also the facilitator of the prophecies concerning the manifestation of Jesus. Let me give you one more spoiler alert and then I'll close. <laughs> Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, <laughs> verse 26. Angel Gabriel and Mary are having a conversation. Now in the sixth month, let me close my Bible. <laughs> now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. And consider what manner of greeting this was. 30. Then the angel said to her, Don't not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and therefore you cannot be the mother of God, because you are finding favor <laughs> with God. And the church say, Amen. Amen. 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And what throne did God promise David? An everlasting kingdom. Yes, 33, you see that in, in, in Christ and Solomon. Right? Yeah, Christ yeah. and Solomon. I talked about that in Christ and Solomon. And he will reign over the house of Solomon. Go back. Of Jacob, I beg your pardon, forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. 34. Then Mary said to the angel, understandably so, how can this be since I do not know a man? I mean, it's a legitimate question. She's not married. She's a virgin. She's only betrothed. She's never been sexually active. How is this possible? See the answer in 35. That's what I'm going to end for today. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit, can you see it? So the Holy Spirit is the possibility of God. Go back to 34. Mary said, how can this be? TPT. TPT, verse 1 and 34. The Passion Translation. But Mary said, how could this happen? 34, go back again. Mary said, but how could this happen? I'm still a virgin. And then Gabriel answered, the spirit of holiness or the Holy Spirit will fall upon you. NLT, 34 and 35. NLT, 34 and 35. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin, 35. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy because he's coming from the Holy Spirit and will be called the Son of God. How can this happen? What was the answer to how can this happen? 
The Holy Spirit. So who is the happening of God? The Holy Spirit. Who is the possibility of God? The Holy Spirit. Who is the actualization of God? The Holy Spirit. So when God gave you the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you, what did God give you? The possibility of God. The creative energy of God. The spirit of wisdom and understanding of God. The spirit of possibility. The spirit of actualization. The spirit of actual happenings in the earth. Because the Holy Spirit is what makes God's will come to pass. That's why to understand God's mind, God had to give you his spirit. We'll continue tomorrow. We'll see the Holy Spirit in the commissioning of the ministry of Jesus, in the preparation of the ministry of Jesus, in action in the ministry of Jesus, in his resurrection, in, his, in the regeneration of the earth, and then at work in the life of the believer. Finally then you can understand and begin to value the Holy Spirit. Anybody that does the supernatural, any believer that works in the supernatural effortly is the believer that has mastered the art of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit as part of their Christ consciousness. I repeat, any believer, any believer that will do anything, work in the supernatural. The supernatural is the spiritual. Do you understand that? The spiritual is the supernatural. Same difference. Any believer that has mastered the art of the supernatural, who is not afraid to pray for the sick, who is not afraid to get miraculous things done, is the believer who has mastered the art of sensitivity to the ministry of the Holy Spirit as part of their Christ consciousness. Sensitivity to the ministry of the Holy Spirit as part of your Christ consciousness. To be Christ conscious is to be mindful of and subject to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the manifestation, ever-present manifestation of God. Anything that God does is a manifestation of his presence and that is only as brought about by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So you see why you could not be saved without the Holy Spirit. You could not be guaranteed without the Holy Spirit. We'll see that tomorrow. You cannot be secured without the Holy Spirit. You cannot be preserved without the Holy Spirit. You cannot survive. You are living a natural life speaking just a supernatural language if you are not yielded to the Holy Spirit. You are, you are living a natural life. You are just speaking a supernatural language until you awaken yourself to understand that my Christ consciousness is hinged on my sensitivity to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'll show you tomorrow. I hate to want to close because Paul, you know, Jesus tells him, he says, if I, I, I'm sending you another comforter, John 16, Alos parakletos, another comforter, another, there's, another there's, there's another word used for another in the Greek, it's called heteros, and heteros is the word from which you get heterosexual, which means a different kind. Does that make sense? So male and female, heterosexual, right? Homo, one and the same, yeah? Attracted to the same kind. Heteros is different, and, and heteros means another. But Jesus did not use the word heteros parakletos. Parakletos means comforter or counselor, or help, or guide, or intercessor, or mediator, or teacher. Seven different things that the word parakletos means in the Greek. Jesus could have used the word heteros parakletos to mean another kind of comforter that is different or from or opposite to me. Are you following me? Instead, he uses alos, A-L-L-O-S. Alos is, is also a Greek word for another, but it literally means another of the exact same kind. Alos. God is not random. Yes, sir. 
He didn't use heteros. He uses alos parakletos. He comes in you, sits in you, and begins to unpack Jesus in you. That's when your life comes alive. He's the ginger factor of God. The life of God that quickens you on the inside. That's when your life takes on richness. Can we just pray in that spirit for a few minutes as we close? A few seconds. Oh, Jesus. Lados, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Manda, let a well of joy bubble on your inside, knowing that this Spirit is for you. He's on the inside of you. He's on the inside of you. As you pray in the spirit, let joy well up on your inside. At the amount of possibilities, the amount of possibilities, the amount of possibilities, the amount of possibilities. Let joy well up on your inside as you pray in the spirit. La tozegesh, lenga de balsi kosu branda hala, jen kadoze kilo dunze brandi gadoste siga, jen kaledede. Thank you, Holy Spirit. 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 Thank you. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.